Good morning, Trinity. I am um, glad. Hi, Monica. Hi. I, I thought I was preaching this morning. Well, I'm preaching this morning, which means that there might be some kind of problem. I mean, I was in the planning center's schedule as preaching. Megan put me in there. I don't. I don't. I don't check that thing. Uh, well, I mean, I mean, you can go ahead. Like uh, that's that's fine. No, 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 no. That's all right. It's all right. It's right. You need the experience. Um, I think we can. I think we can work this out. Okay. Um, I mean, we could do it like one of us does first service, one does second service, or we could try to like. Chop no, that's it no up. good. I feel fresh. I want to give them the best of this. You know. Okay. So. Okay. Let's just work this together. You just start preaching, and when I think it's time to cut you off, I'll put in my sermon. Okay. All right, let's do it. As long as I can cut you off later. Well, we'll see. Okay. Well, all right then. Uh, why, why don't we start with a story? There's this story from before the pandemic, like 2,000 years before the pandemic. There was a giant harvest festival in Jerusalem. And if you thought Passover was a big deal, this harvest festival takes the cake. There were people, there were Jews mainly, coming from across land and sea to get to Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Weeks. It was at the end of the barley harvest, and they were celebrating God's provision for them. God had sustained them through one whole year, and now God had just provided another harvest to sustain them through the coming year. And so really it was almost like a giant Thanksgiving celebration. So just imagine a nice little cozy Thanksgiving meal with like 150,000 of your closest friends and relatives. But as they were celebrating God's provision, this time God provided something a little more than just a barley harvest. God provided the Holy Spirit. But this wasn't, you know, a nice little dove just floating down from the clouds and landing on your windowsill and peeking inside. No, no, no. This was decidedly not subtle. It was very loud. And we're talking like howling tornado force winds with fire. So imagine a fire tornado erupting in your house in the middle of your pumpkin pie. <laughs> like, what is going on? And these flames start separating into individual flames and they start floating towards you and you try to like, like get it to go away and it just gets closer and closer and lands on your head and you look around the room, make eye contact with everyone else, like you're all seeing this too, right? Like we're all witnessing this, it's not just me and everyone else has a fire on their heads too. The host of the celebration has a flame. The guest of honor has a flame. That estranged cousin you haven't seen in 20 years has a flame. Even the two twins, you know, the one is so nice and the other one is so annoying. Both of them have these flames on their heads. And they're all the same size. It's not like one flame is any more fiery than the next one. There's not one that looks like it's about to blow out. They're all remarkably the same. And every single person has one. No exceptions, no hiding. Everyone just staring in stunned silence. And then they open their mouths. You know, subtlety is, it's both a skill and a virtue. Or so I'm told, I'm not that good at it. But, but this is one of those scenarios that, that really fits the opposite, 
right? When the Holy Spirit arrives in this room, we often actually refer to this as the church's birthday. Oh, my. Yeah. The church's birthday. It's a celebration because at this moment, something has changed. And the Holy Spirit is not interested in being misunderstood. Quite literally, actually, but we'll get there in a minute. The Holy Spirit arrives with force and transformation. And it's true that God works like this. I mean, God, of course, works in the quiet and mysterious ways, the ways we're more comfortable. But sometimes, God wants to show off a bit, I think. I mean, our our scriptures are full of these stories. We can go back and we can find the images of seas, partings that people walk on dry land, of Jesus making sure that thousands of people get food when there wasn't enough. I've had conversations with some of you that show that you've experienced God move in big ways in your life, unexpected ways. We we pray about this on Sunday morning. We sing about it in our songs. We sing this morning, God, come flood this place and fill the atmosphere. That is a big conversation of wanting God to move in huge ways. But to be honest, we don't seem to expect it. We know that God will use whatever tools God has to accomplish God's will, but we don't always expect it. Perhaps it's just that our expectations are are too subdued. Maybe our expectations are a bit too used to the skill and virtue of subtlety. I'll be honest, this story, this story freaks me out a bit, all right? It just does. I'm not really excited about the idea of fire falling on my head or even the experience of what that might be like. I mean, maybe it's a nice, a nice accessory, but I, I think visually and all around, that would just terrify me. But if I'm really honest, it's not, it's not the flame imagery that scares me. In reality, it's that if God moved like that, If I knew that God was moving like that, then I would know that God expected something from that movement, that I was being called to do something. And I'm sure that something wouldn't be something small. When God moves in this way, you can expect that God has expectations for what's going to happen next. I lived in Germany for a couple years. And I didn't know any German when I got there, so when I showed up, I had to learn as quickly as I could. And I had this end goal for, by the end of my two years in Germany, that I wanted to be able to speak German with no American accent. And I tried really hard and practice and practice and practice. And when I told the long-term missionary I was working with what this goal was, he said, all right, Monica, if you can say the name of this village that we do a lot of work in, Without an American accent, you have arrived. Wait, what's the name of the village? Kubanchesov. Kibishvish. Kubanchesov. Kishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishishish
And when I was talking to folks, every once in a while, I would be able to fool them. But what would more often happen is I would be talking, and we'd talk for a few minutes, and then they'd just kind of give me this face. And they'd just say, whoa, 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 wait, where are you from? Because I can hear a little bit of something. Like, I, just, I know you're not from here, but I can't place you. Where, where are you from? And that face that they gave me, I imagine that is what these Holy Spirit-filled folks in Acts chapter 2 were getting. Because when the Holy Spirit came on them in fire, they took to the streets. And that giant fire tornado thing caused a lot of commotion, and they had drawn quite a crowd. And when they opened their mouths, they were speaking other languages. And these foreign festival goers heard them speaking in their own languages, and they said, well, wait, where are you from? Because you're, you're speaking my language. You're from Galilee, right here in Jerusalem's backyard? How do you know my language? I'm from Libya, Egypt, Italy, Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, all over the place. But it's not like these Holy Spirit-filled folks were like Holy Spirit zombies, like they weren't possessed by the Holy Spirit. They didn't magically transform into Romans and Egyptians. They were still very much themselves. They had their own accents and everything. They were in their right minds. But the Holy Spirit empowered them as ordinary Galileans to do extraordinary things. And some of the people who saw them were amazed by this, and other people made fun of them a bit, but everyone was paying attention. And Peter, one of Jesus' disciples, recognized what was going on, and he spoke up to explain, to clarify, and after he did that, thousands of people were baptized into the church. Hence, birthday of the church. We don't know the precise mechanics of how this Holy Spirit communication worked. But what would have happened if they hadn't opened their mouths to speak? How many of you have been to the ocean? Go ahead and raise your hand. All right, in the ocean. In the ocean. Not the beach. Not to the beach. In the ocean. All right, good, good, good. In the actual water. In the actual water. I just want to clarify. In the water. How about with a surfboard or a bodyboard? Okay, okay. Quite a few of you. Now, this experience is one of my favorites. I really love the experience of surfing. Um, that says nothing about my skill level. It just means that I enjoy it. Um, I'm still lucky if I could stand up on a board. But I still enjoy it a lot, except for when you're trying to get out to the waves. Because sometimes when you're trying to get out there, it feels like the waves don't want you to. As you're going out there, they're, they're, you're talking to your friend, and suddenly one just smacks you across the face, throws you deep underground, you pop back up with a new kelp hairdo, and suddenly this is how you're going to survive surfing, right? This is the experience going out there. But everything changes when you turn that board around, and you stop fighting the waves. See, the power in water for surfing, for actual enjoyment at the beach, is found in submitting to the water and collaborating with what it is doing. At that point, at that point, you can join in its movement, and at that point, you can do something amazing. 
When the Holy Spirit moved through this group of disciples, fighting it would not have stopped God. Because the Spirit was moving. Instead, instead they submitted to it. They collaborated with it. They committed to it. And they changed the world. Oh, yep. And started the church. We can't ever really know where the Holy Spirit is going to move. That's actually the beauty of God's Spirit. We can't know where it's going to move. John, 8, or John 3, 8, Jesus tells us that God's Spirit blows wherever it wishes. You hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. It's the same with everyone who is born of the Spirit. But we can tell when the Holy Spirit is moving. Because some people will be amazed. Because other people will mock the movement of the Spirit. But they will all pay attention. Most important of all, though, is that the Holy Spirit will draw people to Jesus. Humans are great at creating a lot of noise and power and energy around ideas that they are excited about, creating movements. But a wave of the Holy Spirit is defined by drawing people to Jesus. I think, from my own expectations, just as I said before, we just maybe expect too little from God. Acts is a book, the, the, the Acts of the Apostles, this entire book, shows us that the unexpected can happen, that a community-shaking movement of God can occur in the midst of those who follow Jesus, that a massive wave of the Holy Spirit can work cooperatively with God's people to bring people to new life in Christ. So I guess the questions for us are, has the Holy Spirit just stopped moving? Or maybe we've just shifted in our expectations. Perhaps we're sitting on our surfboards, avoiding the waves, uh, because they're headed in, but they don't look like what we would expect. I know that in my own life, I've wanted the Holy Spirit to move people to things that I think are best. I've wanted the Holy Spirit to move people to ideologies. I've wanted the Holy Spirit to move people to agree with the music I like. I've wanted the Holy Spirit to move people to think I was right. Maybe you have too. In this image, though, we see that the Holy Spirit moved past the expectations, the ideologies, the political identities, the cultural distinctions of a community and said, I'm more than that and you can be too. Maybe we need to start catching the wave to Jesus ourselves with the kind of intensity that others can look at and say, I want that more than anything else. Maybe we just need to be prepared for the Holy Spirit to move and expect that God's Spirit is not done. And this isn't just for some of us. It's the whole church. It's a question of we, us, you. We can't limit how God is going to show up in these scenarios. We have got to stop pretending that we know exactly what it's going to look like. And as a community, we need to be more open to how the Spirit is moving, whether it's the way we would expect it or not. We need to be looking for and expecting that God will move, preparing and paying attention, looking out for it. 
And it's also not something we need to be afraid of. God is not trying to change who we are and erase who we are. God is pulling out more of who we were created to be. And the beauty is that when we're aligned in this way, we can do more and be more than we would ever have otherwise expected. So imagine what could happen if we don't try to hold back what the Holy Spirit wants to do. Imagine what we could do as a community if we were not concerned with what was going to happen. Instead, we're concerned solely with submitting and joining with the Holy Spirit. If we were truly open, truly available to what God wanted to do in this world.